Hey everyone, we are back on video and oh, I wish we weren't. But coronavirus has had some other ideas. Uh, unfortunately, someone uh, tested positive after being at the Monday night meeting this week. They did not have symptoms as they came in and we are very confident that we kept all the guidelines and minimised the spread of infection uh, in every way that we really could in a reasonable way. And uh, so we are hoping and praying that by next week we won't have seen any other infections uh, from people who were at that meeting and we'll be able to continue on as normal. Uh, and just so you know, that person is doing fine, doing really well. Um, so uh, yeah, just mild symptoms, but uh, a positive test. And so as a carrier, we felt the right thing to do was to not meet in person this week. So we are back in Ephesians and we are in verse 21 of chapter 5 and we're calling this God Proposes. Now this is where we're going to get some helpful and very countercultural advice uh, on how we conduct our relationships as people who pursue Jesus. Um, now the first one is going to be on marriage but if you're single don't run away okay don't run away. We have three really good reasons to give you right at the beginning as to why this is really important for you as well. I think it's super important that you get a biblical vision for marriage while you're not married. See marriage for what it is so you can be its cheerleader in society. And most importantly, see the greater marriage. See that there is a bigger, more wonderful marriage and you have been proposed to in that marriage. The definition of love and marriage given in the Bible is so different to the definition most would give in our society. You go down the pub or you chat to your mates, their definition of marriage should be different to yours, even though some will still have had this, these verses that I'm about to read out read aloud at their weddings, either in the future or in the past, if they're already married. It's been drummed into us about finding our soulmate. Two jigsaw pieces already ready to fit together. Beautifully just placed, pop, together. No rough edges. No kind of having to cut off edges and squeeze it together. No, no. Perfect for each other. There's nothing wrong with you. And, there's, and you don't think there's anything wrong with me. Neither of us get bad breath. Neither of us get moody. Neither of us pick up habits, get caught without makeup, get a dad bod. It's just perfect. Even in the indie films, they make us think there's someone just right for us out there. Just in those films, they're, well, let's be honest, less attractive or they... Uh, just look a bit more alternative. Now, if that's your view and you make it to marriage, you are going to think at some point, I married the wrong person. Maybe lockdown has been that for you. Everything was perfect until we spent too much time together. Now, before Lindsay and I got married, we went out for five years together without one argument. After we got married... There was a odd disagreement. Life with kids and increased responsibilities. Arguments happen. 
What's going on there? Well, we're discovering who we really are, who the other really is, who we really are. And when the pressure of life is on, you have to face those things. The reality is it's often messy for any marriage. It's about shaping one another as both the husband and the wife plays their Jesus role and for each other and for the wider community. So the biblical view of marriage is that it is part of a bigger picture. It's pointing to a greater marriage and it's producing stronger bonds. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to read from uh, this afternoon or whenever you're watching it. Maybe you are watching it in the morning, who knows? Chapter 5, verse 21 in Ephesians. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her children. So the first thing is this, marriage is part of a bigger picture. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So marriage is not primarily about the love between a man and a woman. It's about revering and worshipping Jesus. Now if you follow Jesus, you're betrothed for a greater marriage. Now there's just over 200 words in this passage. More than half of those words are dedicated to not, not the marriage between a man and a woman, but the marriage between Jesus and his bride, the church. Do not forget your true spouse by being so focused on the success of your marriage or future marriage. Single, is that you? Well, you can't just skip this passage. It is relevant. This is ultimately about you and Jesus. And it sits within a passage about all kinds of relationship as we look to make much of Jesus through all our relationships, through the way that we interact with people. That is how it's demonstrated. That is how our love, the love of God that is in us is demonstrated is through the relationships we have with real people. So the bigger picture here is that marriage is one relationship of many. That's why Paul introduces this section by Paul calling us to mutually 
submit to one another and all kinds of relationship in God's new community. So, those who aren't married, you're not relegated as a second-class citizen. Remember who writes this? It's the Apostle Paul. He's single. He advocates for singleness because it means that he can be more effective in many ways for the gospel. So you play as much of a role as anyone else. And in verse 21, it tells us that marriages are only part of this fuller expression of how to worship Jesus as citizens in this new community, this new kingdom, both in the church, so kingdom representatives in the church, submit to one another, and outside of it. So verses 22 to 33 are about marriage. Then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, they're about children and parents. And then 6, 5 through 9 is about slaves and masters and um We'll talk a little bit about what that would mean for workers uh, in uh, any situation where you have a boss or someone over you. And there are other passages throughout the New Testament which talk about other kinds of relationships where submission is required. And that is something we're going to look at in a minute. So how you treat your kids, how you treat your your boss or how you act as a boss, uh, how you treat your spouse, it says something about this Jesus that you follow, this Jesus that you revere, that you worship. So your worship is being expressed in the way that you interact with people. Marriage is part of that bigger picture. Second thing, marriage points to a much greater marriage. Husbands and wives get to love like Jesus in marriage. Two people with differing roles, which we're just going to have a look at, giving one another a love that is often one way, like Jesus' love to us while we were still sinners, and often not deserved. Marriages are supposed to display and enjoy the grace of God in the same way that God has loved us. It's the overflow of God's love for us that is being demonstrated in how we love one another. So now, before we get into these roles, let's just set the context really quickly. Along with everyone else in the church, the bride of Christ, we need to realise these things, okay? So verses 23 and 24 shows that both husbands and wives are to submit to Jesus as their head. Both husbands and wives. Verses 25 through 26, both husbands and wives are married to Jesus as his bride. And then verse 31, both husbands and wives are made in God's image and made one flesh, looking back to that first marriage between Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. And Paul starts by reminding the Ephesians what he already told them in chapters 1 and 4. Christ is the head of the church, and as the church we submit to him, to Jesus. So in verse 2, we saw that we are called to submit, and here we're seeing it again that we are called to submit to the one who gave himself up for us. That's what it says in verse 2. He loved the church and he gave himself up for her. And you can see that again, verses 25 through 26, to make us holy and without blemish. So Claire Smith writes in her book, God's Good Design, his, Jesus, loving headship is all in her favour. All of us are the her in that statement. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of beauty 
that Christ adorns us with. Jesus has won us, he's cleansed us from our sin and he leads us to God with love. Calling someone to submit to Jesus is easy. I mean, I can stand here and say that with confidence. Submit to Jesus. Why wouldn't you submit to Jesus? He's full of love. Who wouldn't want to have this incredible king reign over them with his unending love? Asking someone to submit to a sinner, that's not quite so easy. But that is what Paul does in verse 22. In the context of Jesus' loving headship, Paul addresses wives and he says they should submit themselves to their husbands. Whoa, that's not a popular line in 2020. So I think it's helpful here as you work out what submission in marriage is to talk about what submission in marriage is not. Okay, so I think if we can get abundantly clear on what it is not, we start to see what it is. First thing is this, it's not something we're compelled to do, okay? So we are not talking about some kind of submission you would see in an MMA fight, mixed martial arts fight. It's not like a, the Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert manages to get some uh, massive burly boxer into a hold and they're like, ah, making them cry and submit. It's not that kind of submission, it's, it's a willing submission. Every kind of submission to God in the Bible except the submission that we see the devil and his demons having to to do is willful submission. That one, uh, Satan, he is forced into submission by Christ. However, all these other submissions that we see is something we choose to do. So here we are called to choose the loving rule of King Jesus, and the Bible calls us then to willingly submit under the authority of in other relationships. So elsewhere we see government, elsewhere we see authorities at work, elsewhere we see parents, elsewhere we see church leadership, elsewhere we see bosses at work. And that obviously then here includes husbands if you are a wife. Submit to your husband. Submission then is to be a gift, something we get to do rather than compelled to do. Okay, the second thing that it's not, it's not to be subservient. Wives are not to submit unquestionably. Yes, it says submit in everything, but it is to submit in everything like the church or as the church does to Jesus. But it cannot be exactly like that when husbands are sinners. And the reason I can be confident of that is because they just, the women cannot submit to their husband in every case. Just read the rest of chapters four and five. Paul is clearly not calling women to disobey Jesus to obey their husband. She sits under the headship of her husband as she sits under the greater headship of Christ, we need to be really clear on that because this is not an excuse for abuses to take place. This is about the headship of Christ and then under the headship of Christ, men, husbands are to lead in the home. Third thing, it's not a mark of inferiority. Submission is a God-imaging, Christ-like thing to do. So if we're horrified 
that wives should submit to, submit to husbands, we actually should also be horrified that Jesus submits to the Father. I mean, Jesus is God. He's equal to the Father. But he count his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's what we see in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This, the submission in marriage, is a Jesus role. There is no part of this that makes women somehow inferior to men. Let's be super clear. Men and women are made equally in the image of God, equally valued. In the same way that the Father, Son and Spirit are equal in the Godhead and yet distinct in role, we too are equal in a marriage relationship yet distinct in role. God's design is good. It's not to be approached with reluctance, but with faith in God and his design. God gave us different roles to work together, to be stronger. Not because either one is better than the other. That's why Paul finishes the section on marriage in verse 31. By quoting Genesis 2, a pre-fall model of marriage we are to emulate. Submission then is one of the vital ways to bring us back into God's original design for marriage and have increased enjoyment and contentment in marriage. This is a trust thing. Do we trust God in this? Fourth thing, this is not a husband's power play or trump card. Notice it's not husbands who are to tell their wives to submit. I can't ever think of a reason, a good reason why a man should ever feel the need to tell his wife to submit. Remember, it's about willing submission to the head like we all do to Christ. The whole point of this is to show the world Jesus by the way that we love one another. Remember that it's an overflow of the love of God, this Trinitarian love that has existed forever. Father, Son and Holy Spirit adoring one another forever and ever and ever. And we have received an overflow of that love because God is loved by very nature. He loved us And then he calls us to enter into this relationship with him that is this glorious one-way love towards us. And we respond in love, so we receive his love first. And then, oh, we love him. And then the rest of our relationship should be characterized by the love that God has loved us with, especially marriage. Now, the whole point of this is Jesus. I mean, I hope you're getting clear on this. Marriage is a beautiful picture of Jesus' marriage to the church, and we need to display that to the world in the way that we live as married couples. And the way that we talk about marriage and consider marriage. So if you're single, please listen 
because people need to know about this marriage between Jesus and his church, the one that you're involved with, the one that you're betrothed. Jesus is the one that you're betrothed to. One day there'll be a great wedding banquet and you're the bride, I'm the bride. It's going to be a beautiful day. And there are people out there who need to know about it. Eric Raymond, a writer and pastor in the States, puts it this way. As she yields her heart, mind and will to God's word, declaring it to be good and right, she reflects the body of Christ's submission to Jesus. In this way, wives have the privilege of not only declaring the gospel, but also demonstrating it through submission to their husbands. All right, fifth thing. This is not submission to all men. Notice too that it is just to husbands that wives are called to submit. Women are made to lead and not only men. Please do not shrink back from those leadership responsibilities and opportunities elsewhere because you're a woman. Look to excel for Jesus in the workplace, in church, in sports teams and elsewhere. If that includes leadership, running companies and starting businesses, do not hesitate for a moment on the basis of your sex. Men, if you find yourself in a work situation where a woman is your boss, is your manager, the most godly thing you can do is to encourage her leadership and work hard for her as working for the Lord. Now, husbands, here we go. Our turn to play the Jesus role. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. (laughs) To be a good husband is to love like Jesus loves his church, not to join the attempts for a definition of masculinity in this culture, in a previous culture, in an alternative culture, the only definition for us, for what it should mean to really be a man, should be a biblical one. And it is most clearly seen in the life of Jesus. Those attempts for a culturally defined masculinity have always failed, and they're failing again today. They're failing women, they are failing society, and they are failing men themselves. A real man is not domineering and is not egotistical. He is a humble servant like Jesus. Rigby Wallace, who is uh, the lead pastor at Common Ground Church in Cape Town, was with us a couple of weeks ago at our men's night about what, and what, here's just one thing that he said that night. And uh, it was a kind of list of things that he brought and I just think it's so helpful. So let me just quote him now. He said that if women should, f- uh, he said that women should find men in the church who are looking to imitate Jesus, and that they should look like this: strong without being domineering, inspiring without being egotistical, loving without being saccharine, overly sentimental committed without being fanatical, wise without being condescending. They would find there in the church a man of purpose and passion, but also of patience, one who held strong convictions but invited rather than coerced people into them. A man of prayer 
and worship as well as servitude and celebration. A man who formed deep friendships, inspired great loyalty through openness and generosity. A man of compassion and justice, especially for those in society that have been cast aside, but also for those whose lives had come between them and God. A man who gave and gave and gave of himself for others. A man of vulnerability and sacrifice. A man who cried from time to time. A man who was afraid. A man whose power was made perfect in weakness. A man of faith and of hope. He says the list goes on and on. And with it grows the irony that the majority of the attributes of the Son of God are not attributes we celebrate as manly today. That's a sad indictment of our culture, yet a glorious vision of what we're supposed to be as men. Husbands, we are called to lay ourselves down and even die for our wives. That's what the calling is here. And that, of course, scuppers the plans of the men who thought this was a one-way ticket to being served. It means the opposite of going into marriage to be served and to not have to change or to give anything up. Guys, if Jesus gave up heaven for a time to be born in a stinky stable and to live a life of strife and difficulty and be mocked and killed on a Roman cross, you can give up Xbox. You can give up meat and two veg and take on responsibility. The key to being a great husband is simple. Be willing to serve and not be served. Contrary to what the world says, that is where strong leadership is. Servitude. Praise God, we see it perfectly displayed in the life of Jesus. And if we needed any more motivation, Paul helps us to see that when we don't treat our wives that way, we are failing to care for ourselves, our own bodies. We are to love our wives as our own bodies. We are one flesh. To serve and care for your wife is to serve and care for yourself. It's good for you. So in marriage, we both are to play our Jesus roles. Wives submit in a Christ-like way, as Jesus' bride, the church, does to Jesus, and then as Jesus did to the Father. Men, lay yourself down like Christ laid himself down for us. Last thing, marriage produces stronger bonds. A study in the States found that more than 60% of people married said that they were very happy. Well, great. (laughs) But perhaps what is actually most striking about that research is that they found that the vast majority of those couples who had said that they were unhappy, that 40%, they became very happy within five years if they stuck together. Work through things. Don't just quit. It is not godly or good for you to do that. Marriage is not what the world tells it as it is. It's not a relationship between two people so perfectly suited to one another that they always have those tingly feelings. 
marriage in the Bible is given as in covenantal language, unbreakable promises, usually reserved for God towards his people. Jesus and his bride is a union of the, of the whole self, heart, mind, spirit, and body. So why do you need a piece of paper? To know you're committed to someone? Because this isn't about feeling in love. It's about being committed to being all the things that we should be to one another regardless of feelings. Actually, that's true love. It's only when you do that you can give each other fully to one another and stop pretending you're something you're not out of the fear that the other person will find that out and walk away. You can be without your makeup and without your chewing gum to hand. Real, honest, bare bones relationships where we really open up, really know each other. Those are the kinds of relationships that last. Marriage is not there to keep up some intense tingly feelings and great sexual chemistry and a wonderful attraction, physical attraction. Marriage is there to help us to stay and be united however we feel. Profound mystery that Paul talks about here between a man and a woman who become one flesh will at times feel mysteriously intriguing. Be a glorious, wonderful thing. But other times it's going to feel mysteriously baffling. <laughs> you can give up on trying to totally get each other all the time. It's just not going to happen. Instead of trying to think that that's the answer to somehow be so perfectly fitted together and have this mysterious wonder about each other. Instead, why don't you simply love like Christ has loved you? Show grace to one another. But that does not mean we get to be lazy husbands and wives. That isn't the picture we see of Jesus and his church. Jesus doesn't take a few days off from his bride. The church doesn't take a, a break from prayer. You can't go on a bender as a follower of Jesus and give it the Ross Geller. Ah, we were on a break. This is forever. And the more we persevere under, under the banner of we are not going anywhere when the feelings aren't there, the more we will be able to produce strong bonds. Strong relationships are unlike other relationships in society. So here's a few things that I think uh, are just helpful practical advice that I've picked up from other people uh, along the way so far. Listen, we don't pretend to have it all together. We recognize that we're only 11 years into marriage. We've got a long way to go, but here I hope are some helpful um, practical tips that people have, have shared with us. Do your bit, but don't try to get your spouse to do theirs. <laughs> Guilt-driven marriages are not healthy. Plan 
and get clear on rules. Now, I recognize that gets trickier and trickier with kids and increased responsibilities and all that kind of thing. So think about that stuff. Maybe you're engaged or maybe you're um, going out with someone and I just don't think it's too early to start planning and thinking like, how would we break things up? What kind of roles would we have? What are our ambitions? How are we going to share things together? As part of the planning, prioritize time together. Now that looks different depending on love languages and schedules, but at least a date night a week and ideally a day together a week is what you, you really need to start with and then go from there. Work out how headship will work for you as a couple. What will it mean for the husband to lead in your household, to be the spiritual guard in the household, uh, the one who is pursuing Jesus um, alongside his wife in a way that uh, spearheads the household towards Jesus. Work out your love languages. So important. What is it that you need to do to make sure that your partner, your, your wife or your husband feels, knows that you do love them? Talk about it. Even if you like to avoid conflict, if something is on your mind, talk about it. Don't let it drive a wedge between you for weeks, months, years before you talk about it. Talk before it's too late. Think about how you resolve conflicts. Conflicts Now, Lindsay is an internal processor. I'm an external processor. I, we are still trying to work that one out. I mean, when we get into conflict, it's like, I want to I talk about it yesterday. She wants to wait a week because she's got to like really process it before she can get her thoughts clear and talk about it with any real meaning. That's so for me, I, I feel like I can't move on until I've, I've, I've talked about it. And so we've got to, the two of us are, are, are working out how, how do... How does Lindsay come, get a little bit quicker? How do I be a little bit slower and a bit more understanding? Be willing to be the first to say sorry. So important. Don't get proud. Even if you say sorry and then your husband or wife doesn't say sorry, when you think that they should say sorry, show them grace. Don't turn that into another argument. Have sex regularly. Even if you're tired and I feel really sad to have to add this bit, but please, of course, sex is always consensual. So if you get a no, talk about it another time. Don't try to manipulate your spouse with this. That's back to the first one. Do your bit, but don't try to get your spouse to do theirs. Stay away from guilt-driven marriages. We want grace-driven marriages. Marriages that exist in that way, in these kinds of ways, over time will grow to be stronger. Their homes and lives will become like fruitful gardens that people will want to come and visit, that will want to come and enjoy. Having a tough time in marriage right now? Keep going together. You will produce stronger bonds as you look to Jesus and his church and that great example, that greater marriage Marriage is part of a bigger picture. There's more going on than just our marriages with one another. It's pointing to a greater marriage and it's producing stronger bonds. As Jesus said in Mark 10, 9, and I'm sure many of you had spoken over you 
at your weddings. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man asunder separate. Mark 10, verse 9. It's true of Jesus and the church. We will never be separated from our bridegroom. He, we are guaranteed his love forever and ever. And I pray that it is true of our marriages until death do us part.